if you ask me to take over or under, I take over for Trump at 50. Trump will come out of Iowa with some momentum. And I, I really, my gut tells me DeSantis is going to do better than Haley. Nikki Haley does just demographically in terms of skills is not going to beat Donald Trump. I do think that Vivek will actually overperform as well and get close to 15%. All right, folks, welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. If you're listening on audio, you can't tell how giddy I am. Not only is it snowing in this area, look, I mean, it's not real snow, but we haven't actually had more than an inch of snow in almost two years. Uh, so there's a bit of a, of a dusting here, but it's caucus day. This is it. This is the kickoff to the Republican nomination. Um, I did a little pop-up live YouTube last night. And uh, thank you for everyone who jumped on uh, your feedback. I loved your questions, your comments. I'm definitely gonna do it again. Um, what I wanna do today is walk you through the process. What's starting today? What's at stake and how it works? And we'll continue to get into this. But I don't think you're gonna see what you're about to see anywhere else. Nobody else will cover the process like we will right now. I'm gonna get into it with Mark Halpern a little bit later in terms of the expectations and what to happen. But part of the whole goal of the show is to let you understand how things really work so that you are informed and then you can show everyone up when you go out to dinner or you're at a cocktail party or on the sidelines of your kid's basketball game. You'd be like, you know how it really works? <laughs> so let me just start with today and then I'll get into the process. Today in Iowa, there are 40 delegates at stake, okay? I'm gonna walk you through the rest of the numbers in a second, but I wanted you to at least start with Iowa because I think that's important. You need 1,215 to win, by the way. Who can vote? Tonight, Republicans can vote in Iowa, but, but, but here is the caveat. Number one, you can register right up until the caucus. Okay, so you can be an independent, a Democrat, as long as you register to vote as a Republican. And then, as you know, you can undo it. Why this matters? Well, one, independents generally make up about 20% of the electorate. That's how it always has worked. But because there's not a Democratic race on the other side, there are people saying they will get involved and go do this. Now, how many? I don't know. But a few thousand trying to go against Trump or supporting Haley or whatever is all that matters that can actually have a little bit of a difference. So I'm just telling you now, keep an eye on that tonight, and that's the X factor. Everyone has to be at their caucus site by 7 p.m. 7.02, 7.05, you cannot participate. That's it, full stop. So this is important. This isn't like a primary where you, you, know, you can vote absentee or you just run into your local gym and vote. No, no, no. You have to be there by seven o'clock you have to be a registered Republican, and then you go from there. They will elect a chair. That chair will then allow different per people from the campaigns to make a, uh, a speech. So a Trump campaign, DeSantis campaign, Haley, Ramaswamy, et cetera, they will get to talk. And then they will hand out literally blank slates of paper. I'm gonna put up a piece, uh, a, sh a sh photo from when I went out to the caucuses in 2015. Look at this, this is like literally the, the mail bin box that. They put mail in and these are blank pieces of paper, like literally blank pieces of paper, scratch off. You write a name, Trump, and you throw it in the box. This is not the most sophisticated process out there. This is how it works though, out there, you know? And so there are about 1,670 precinct locations. These are cafeterias, community centers, churches, VFWs, you name it. 
The State Party of Iowa has a list if you're interested in seeing all of these different locations. And then when they're done, when they've tallied all of these things, they announce the results and then they call them in to the State Party headquarters in Des Moines. I was there last time. It's a pretty amazing process to watch these all get called in. And then they start to tally them up. Um, anyway, so that's what's at stake tonight. The estimate is that we should know somewhere around 8.45, 9 o'clock. Get a sense of this. Who won? Who's doing well? Hey, are you a professional that's running a small business? Or maybe you know that person? Well, I've got an exciting, exciting new offer for you. It's called Ramp, and it will maximize productivity and cut wasteful spending from your business. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to save you money and put money back in the pocket of your company. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into spending money. It can add restrictions, limits, all those things that you want. It's a physical credit card that you get to give employees that you don't have to worry about because you know where they can spend, how much they can spend. It's fantastic. Ramp saves you money. And here's the thing. Businesses that start with Ramp save on average 5% the first month. Who doesn't like that? It's easy to use. It's easy to get started. They issue virtual and physical credit cards, and you can start making payments in less than 15 minutes. Whether you have five employees or 5,000, Ramp is going to save you time and money. But here is the kicker. Whether you're that person or you know the person, if you go to ramp.com slash Spicer, you get 250 bucks just for signing up. 250 bucks in your pocket. That's why you are gonna go to ramp.com slash Spicer right now and sign up. By the way, cards are issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. The high water mark in 2016 was about 186,000. Interesting stat for you. There are 100,000 new Republican voters since the 2016 caucuses. 100,000. And if you think about it, prior to 2016 and 2012, there were only about 120,000, 115,000 caucus goers. So you're doubling the universe potentially right there. The Trump guys feel really good. I mentioned this on the call last night, but the Iowa poll that came out from the Des Moines Register really show, I mean, it shows Trump in, in a huge commanding lead. Um, he's at four, 50%, basically. Um, this, is, this is good news for, for Trump. The thing that's really fascinating, and again, where you start to see the difference between um, the candidates is... Haley moved into second place. She was up from where she was um, in December. Trump is at 48, which is pretty much where he is. Haley is at 20. She was at 16 in December. DeSantis is at 16. He lost three. On paper, that really sounds great for Nikki Haley. But let me tell you why it's not. Most of her support, over half of it, is coming from independents and Democrats. And when you ask people if they're extremely enthusiastic about Nikki Haley, only 9% say they are. Only 9%. That number is at 49% for Trump. And when you ask if they're really enthusiastic, it gets up into the 80s for Trump. People who are supporting Nikki Haley, they're not getting out in the freezing cold. They're not excited about her. They're excited about Donald Trump. And that's why I think the media is going to make a big deal about how this all plays out tonight. Um, let me get now in to the process that we are about to start tonight. Today kicks off 
the race for the nomination for the Republican president nomination run. And so let me explain how this is going to go. There are 2,439 delegates at stake total. 2,439 delegates up for grabs. You need 1,215 to become the nominee. Today is 40. The month of January is not where delegates are won. There's only two states that are going to vote in January, Iowa and New Hampshire. This is not about accumulating delegates. This is about momentum. This is about winnowing the field. But let me just give you the stats. In January, 62 delegates are at stake. That's just 2.55% of all delegates are at stake. In February, we had two additional states, Nevada and South Carolina. Also, by the way, the Virgin Islands with its eight delegates uh, also are part of that. So all told, at the end of the month, the end of February, 5.85% of all delegates will be awarded, right? So four states and a territory will have voted. That's it. But that's what's at stake. When we get to March, that thing, that's when things heat up. It's just like basketball, March madness. D.C., the Northern Marianas Islands, and 30 states have contests for a total of 1,592 delegates. That's 65.5% of all delegates will be awarded in March alone. 65% of all of the delegates awarded in March. And when March is done, if you add March, January, and February, we'll be at 71% of delegates that will have been awarded. In April, we only have 247 delegates up for grabs. And in May, there are 294. By the way, if you hang on to June, 12 delegates. So here's the question. How do delegates get awarded? That is what everybody really cares about. Let me kind of walk you through this. Um, I'll read you this, and this is important. At-large delegates are statewide delegates who must be residents of the state. Each state receives 10 at-large delegates, and a bonus at-large delegates are awarded based on a recent Republican electoral excess, success. So if your state is doing really well as a Republican state, you get the 10 at-large delegates, plus you get these bonus delegates for the following things. The election of a Republican governor, the election of a U.S. senator, and obviously you can get two because you have two U.S. senators. A Republican majority of a state's congressional delegation, that gets you a bonus delegate. A Republican majority of one or all chambers of the state legislature, and a majority of the state's electoral votes having been cast for Donald Trump in 2020. That's where you separate the states. So that gets you your at-large delegates. That's how we come up with that. Additionally, each state is awarded congressional delegates. Okay, by the way, before I finish the at-large, let me just tell you, because I mentioned a couple of the, the territories, right? Territories in the District of Columbia are awarded a specific number of at-large delegates. American Samoa, Guam, and the Northern Marianas Islands and the Virgin Islands all get six delegates. The District of Columbia receives 16 delegates and Puerto Rico receives 20. Don't ask me why. Those are the facts. Congressional delegate district delegates must be residents of the district which they represent. And each state is allocated three delegates per congressional district. That's why you're going to see big states like California, 166 delegates. That's a super Tuesday, March 5th state. Okay. That's the big prize there. Texas is number two. 
right? That's going to get you, uh, I think, 161. By the way, just as a side note, since I covered the big, let me cover the small. The Virgin Islands only has four. So the, the next piece that I want to walk you through is what we call threshold. What I mean by threshold is Iowa uh, awards all of their delegates proportionally. And all delegates for this first early state part have to be awarded proportionally. What does that mean? Well, that means that whatever the ranking is statewide, they allocate those delegates proportionally um, as they would, um, you know, by by the the ranking that you get and the the distribution of, of your vote. So if you get fifty percent of the vote, you get fifty percent of the delegates, right? It goes like that. In New Hampshire and in many more states working forward, and we will cover those as the states come up, there's a threshold. New Hampshire, it's 10%. If you don't hit 10%, you don't get anything. Iowa, I think they want a more inclusive process. They want people to come there, and so they don't want them to blow it off right uh, right out of the gate. So how do you do that? You keep low-polling people staying in there, knowing that they'll get a proportion potentially of, of a delegate. If, if they stick around. In New Hampshire, if you don't get 10%, you get nothing. So that's a big thing going forward. I've brought this up in the past. In, in, in the case of like South Carolina in 2016, Trump got something like 26%, 27%. I forgot what the exact number was. And he basically took home all the other delegates because the other candidates weren't even hitting South Carolina's threshold at what it had been set in 2016. That's a big thing going forward. And we've got to remember that. Um, it, coincidentally, I brought up these states, right? Um, in New Jersey, they only have 12 delegates because as I mentioned, how these delegates get awarded at large based on their previous votes, they don't do well. And so you're going to see places on Super Tuesday that matter a lot more. All right, folks, I want to tell you about my friend, Leo Grillo. If you've been watching the show for a while, you know about Leo and all the great work that he does at Delta Rescue. You can go to deltarescue.org, take a look at the videos, an amazing, amazing no-kill sanctuary. Leo Grillo has made a life out of saving, protecting, nurturing abandoned animals, dogs, cats, you name it. Delta Rescue is a, a mission of his. It's a passion of his. Um, if you're an animal lover like me, if you've rescued dogs, if you've rescued cats, um, then you're going to want to check out the amazing work of Delta Rescue. You go to deltarescue.org, there's videos, there's testimonials. You can see what I'm talking about. It is the world's largest no-kill sanctuary. It's not a shelter, it's a sanctuary. This is where animals can live in perpetuity. They can get the nutrition they need, the care they need, the support they need. And it's all because Leo Grillo made it his lifelong mission. And it's only supported through donations like me and you, five, ten, a hundred dollars. But there's also a way that we can make this mission that Leo has created a lifelong one, an enduring one. And that's if we go to deltarescue.org and check out the estate kit that they put there. Download it, see if it works for you, if it could be part of your financial future planning. Go to deltarescue.org, hit that estate guide. Also, think about a contribution. Help Leo Grillo and the great work that Delta Rescue does to take care of these abandoned animals. Just to give you a sense of, of these states, let's go through just what, what Super Tuesday looks like. So on Super Tuesday, that's March 5th, we talked about January, we talked about February. When we kick into March, you've got the DC primaries on Sunday the 3rd, concluding then. Then on Monday, March 4th, you've got the North Dakota caucus. Here's where the big money is. The big money is going to be 
on Tuesday, March 5th. This is why everybody says you got to get through those early states and then you're focused on Super Tuesday, March 5th. Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and the Vermont primaries, as well as uh, the Alaska, American Samoa, Utah caucuses. That's, that's your big, big number there, right? I mentioned all of those delegates uh, that were up in, in March, right? Let's just look back at what I said in March that you've got 1,592 delegates, 65% of all delegates in March. This March 5th, that's where almost all of them are. There's some additional states that vote on the 19th, the Northern Marianas caucuses on the 15th. But let me tell you, March 5th, that's where it's at. That's what everybody is focused on is March 5th. If you can get by January, Iowa, New Hampshire, and then Nevada and South Carolina in February, those are your two February states, all you're doing is looking to play here. The problem is you can run those other states like a high school election, focused, go to all 99 counties in Iowa, but then you better be ready for the big leagues. A national primary is what that amounts to on March 5th. And that's where all the focus is. If Donald Trump can string this thing out, get DeSantis to drop out, get Nikki Haley to drop out, he won't even have to make it to March 5th. March 5th is the prize. And if he gets there, trust me, he's the only candidate right now that's got the ability to run a national primary there. I want to bring in Mark Halperin. He runs Wide World of News. He can be found at walkingduck.com slash Mark. We'll put that on the screen. You can always find it in YouTube comments. He runs a great Zoom, bringing people together all the time, explaining the process, uh, bringing experts together. Without further ado, let's get Mark to break down what we can expect tonight. Mark Halperin, um, great to see you. You can tell by the smile on my face. This is like, I, I don't know, this is Super Bowl for a uh, football junkie, the game one of the World Series. Like, I, I'm excited we're here. How are you feeling? I'm super excited. I like like the voters to have a bigger say than the pundits. So I'm always happy when voters get to have their I, I know, but I, I feel like this is what we get to talk about. Um, I mean, right? It's the voters get their say and then we get to talk about what they yeah. did. Um, so I, I jumped on last night. You had a, a really, as you always do, fascinating uh, Zoom call with a lot of experts and a lot of folks. You were the guy asking your question, asking the questions. But what was your takeaway from what people like Ann Seltzer, the the pollster for the Des Moines Register poll, shared with your audience? What did you walk away thinking that you didn't know prior to the call? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing for me is to think about the Republican Party for the general election. We both know Donald Trump's on a pretty a pretty firm trajectory to be the nominee. And so the question is, what can we tell about how he's doing now, if he is the nominee, that speaks to his strength as a general election candidate? And one of the most interesting things to me was one of the pollsters we had on last night, Celinda Lake, a Democrat, said Trump's bringing in new voters again, just like he did in 2016. He would not have beaten Hillary Clinton in 2016 without bringing in new voters. And it's clear he's doing it again in Iowa. And so to me, assuming there's no major change here where Trump is wounded in Iowa or New Hampshire, looking at that that Iowa poll, looking at the results and seeing what is he doing now in terms of mechanics and constituencies and appeal that could have a real bearing on how he does in the general election. All right, since you started with the general election, let me start with the ABC poll that came out 
yesterday yeah. as well. Obviously, the big attention was the Des Moines Register poll. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you brought it up yesterday. Uh, you just brought up the general election now. The ABC News poll came out yesterday, showed that Biden's approval rating overall among all voters is 33%. Um, I get we're not running a national election, but the idea that he has a 33% approval rating, how concerning do you think that is for, for these Democrats right now? It's super concerning. And remember, national polls, if they're done right, one in every seven pe- per people in that poll is going to be from California. Right. And so his approve his approval rating in the battleground states would, would tend to lag behind a national number. I think uh, the reason I focused on my call last night with these three pollsters, not just on the Iowa poll, but on the two national polls, the ABC and CBS one, is there's such bad news in those polls for, the, for Joe Biden. If, if this were a normal cycle, There'd even be more anxiety on the part of Democrats, but they do believe Donald Trump will be the nominee, and they do believe that he's someone Joe Biden can beat. They're less, as as Celinda Lake said on the call again, the Democratic pollster. They're less concerned about his approval rating than they are uh, by the number that was in the CBS poll that I'm fascinated by. It's kind of a new question. There are different variations on it, but it's basically whose economic policies do you think would be better for your family, Trump or Biden? Donald Trump is is creaming Joe Biden on that question, however it's asked in the last few polls where it's been asked. That's the one that I think Democrats have rightly seized on to say, we can run on abortion, we can run on democracy. But if we can't hold our own on who would be better over the next four years on the economy against Donald Trump, he's not going to win. You know, I noticed you put that in your newsletter as well. And I would encourage everyone, as I, I did at the beginning, just subscribe for it. Um, you obviously, it's a paid model, but every once in a while you throw the freebie out and that's, uh, I get, it's like a lost leader at CVS. It gets you in the store and you see the great content that you put out. The thing that I find fascinating about that is when I was listening to the Sunday shows, a lot of the Democratic surrogates for the Biden campaign said, well, it's not yet uh, a binary choice between Clinton uh, excuse me, between Biden and Trump. It's, it's, we're not there yet. We're not at the general. But I kept thinking to myself, this is like a lot of relationships, right? You, you break up with your girlfriend and six months later, you say, God, it was always so good under when we were together. And, and you don't think about the reality. And for a lot of these people, when I looked at that statistic from that poll that you had in the newsletter, I kept thinking that's like a relationship. All these people keep thinking back to the Trump years and saying, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. And that's the reality that I think the surrogates are missing is that whether it's true or not, they long for these Trump days when unemployment was lower, when interest rates were lower, when gas prices were lower. Um, and, and you can't undo that. You know, it's, it, I, I mean, I don't mean to make it sound so naive, but it really is like, you know, sometimes you get that buddy of yours saying, dude, remember what it was like when you were dating her and it wasn't that good. I'm not saying that's the equivalent by any means, but I think that's the position that the Biden campaign is in where they're trying to feel like they've got to shake a lot of these independents and say, it wasn't all that good. Remember the tweets? And, and unfortunately, when it comes to the economy, I don't know that you can do that. Well, look, there's an irony in the Democrats constantly saying Trump's obsessed with the past when the Democratic campaign against Trump is about 50 percent based on talking about the past, talking about Trump's time, as you said, Trump's time as president. I think, again, the biggest danger for Biden right now to me and talking to the Democrats whose opinions I trust is the past will factor in here. But as you know, elections are about the future. And and, and it's not that voters are, are saying Trump's policies in the past were better, although there is some of that. It's that more voters are saying Trump's policies going forward right. would be better. And I think to the extent Donald Trump runs the kind of disciplined campaign his team is looking to do, just talking about immigration, inflation, 
crime, foreign policy. These are all uh, energy. These are all issues where Donald Trump, when he focuses on the future right now, voters find that four years of that more appealing than what, what, what Joe Biden is so far selling. And of course, Joe Biden hasn't been very specific about what the next four years would be like, except he says, vote for me and, and we'll have abortion rights and we won't have riots at the Capitol. I agree. Although I will say the caveat, at least as far as I'm concerned and what you're saying is that Donald Trump can predicate the future based on past results. He can say, I know. No, what, no, I, no question. And that's and that's the difference is it's, it's, it's not a theoretical discussion. He can say, look at my record. I will make the future better. I want to point out one other thing that jumped out to me in the ABC poll when asked, does Biden have the mental sharpness to be president? 28% said yes. 69, 70% said no. The one thing about that statistic is that it can never get better. You can't, ch- I mean, he's not getting younger. He's not Benjamin Button. Yeah. So, so the mental acuity, the physical prowess doesn't get better with age ever. And so how right. does... I mean, what I can't get as a strategist, you know, a lot of times, and you asked this last night on your call to one of the folks that if you were advising, how would you do it? I don't, I, I guess the answer would be if, if asked, how would you overcome this if you were the Biden team? Maybe have him do something. But I, I again, the problem is every time he walks, his gait looks so whacked. Yeah. Um, what would you, what do you think that Democratic strategists, they all say stuff. I listened to J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois yesterday, and he was saying, well, with it comes experience. That's just not, I don't think people are buying that. And I frankly think just because you get older doesn't mean you have good experience or good results, just means you're older. Yeah, I think there are three things they're trying to do. I'm not sure that they'll work, but as I talk to people and as I observe that the White House, the real like strategy, first is they're trying to to take down Trump. They're trying to say, well, Trump's old too and Trump says crazy things and and it looks like he's lost it too. So you go on their Twitter feed and you'll see they did it yesterday. If Trump says anything the slightest bit off, they're putting that on social media, trying to level the playing field on that question. Because in their view, Trump's, you know, just a little bit younger and 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 just as out of it, you know, in terms of selected moments. The second thing they're trying to do is is uh, put him in situations where he does look like, you know, he's got his act together, that he hasn't lost it. Uh, and see if they can find those photo op moments to, to to replace the images that we've seen of him falling and of him stuttering, et cetera, stumbling verbally, et cetera. And then finally, get him rest. You know, the more he rests, the, the less likely he is to have those moments and, and to not create new ones. And, and look, the most worried Democrats that I know are terrified of, of some slip up next year, this year rather, in a high profile moment, a debate. Um, you know, some some high profile thing where that could become indelible. That could become the last straw for folks who who, who wonder about his readiness to do the job for four more years and for younger voters who are very skeptical about his capacity to do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough 
that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICE, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's fourpatriots.com, includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, fourpatriots.com. You do not want to be without power in case something happens. Uh, the one thing that I also thought was fascinating last night was the the topic that was brought up about whether or not they would replace Kamala Harris. And you sort of punted that uh, to Selena Lake and said, can you explain how disastrous this would be? And I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I want to pivot to tonight. As somebody who's covered these caucuses extensively for decades, Tell me what I want to look at. Seven o'clock comes central time. The caucuses start. What do I want to look at and when do I want to look at it? Well, it, it, you know, this is not a normal caucus in the sense that there's not a lot of um, mystery, I think, uh, about what's going to happen. I think you want to see what rural turnout is like, not just because of the weather and, and the difficulty of for for rural voters to get to their caucus site, but because Donald Trump's victory uh, margin is going to be powered in part, in large part, by how big the turnout is in those rural areas where he's expecting a lot of votes. Uh, that's that's a, that's rural voters is where he dominates. And then you want to see the mechanics of the Haley supporters and kind of watch their faces to see, are they able to get a turnout operation going? She doesn't have that in any state except for New Hampshire. Uh, she's kind of jerry built in Iowa, but but she's going to have to rely on kind of enthusiasm. That's it's up against cold, you know, record cold temperatures. But how well are Haley's people turning out, kind of organically, not necessarily with the kind of machine uh, turnout operation that the DeSantis Super PAC says it has, that the Trump campaign, I'm confident, has. And then and then finally, the thing I most am going to watch is the three speeches, regardless of the outcome. Uh, one of the things that, that poor campaigns, you know, badly run campaigns fail to do is take advantage of the spotlight. This will be the most watched speech tonight, almost certainly that Nikki Haley's ever given. It's going to be one of the most and maybe the most watched speech Ron DeSantis has ever given. Not true of President Trump, but it's an opportunity when, when uh, full coverage on all cable networks, every political reporter in the country watching, lots of donors watching, lots of political people watching. What's the soundbite? What are they going for? What message are they trying to drive? Because regardless of the results, unless DeSantis is getting out of the race tonight, this is the opportunity to frame the results, not from the mouth of a spinner, but from the candidate's mouth. Interesting. Um, this goes then to this whole idea of expectations. Um, I mean, because that's what this has come down to. And it's funny. I mean, I read a bunch of analysis this morning, some last night. Obviously, I listened to your call yesterday. There's this... I mean, the first expectation, to your point, is that Trump needs to hit about what he's pulling at, and that's roughly 50%. So if Trump gets 48, 47, 46, is that matter? Does it have to be, as we say in the polling world, within the margin of error, or does he need to actually exceed 50%? Well, the haters and the skeptics and the anti-Trump people and the dominant media will all say if he's below 50 more than half the people didn't want him. Uh, he failed to, you know, get where he wanted to get. Uh, I'm not sure that that will matter in the real world because I don't think 
that message will diff- will make a difference in what a kind of threat Nikki Haley is to him in New Hampshire and beyond. If he gets above 50, it's going to be hard for those people who've created this arbitrary line to say he didn't do what he needed to do. He'll almost certainly break the record for uh, in a contested um, uh, caucus for a margin of victory, Bob Dole's record. Now, again, the, the, the people who don't want Trump to be the nominee are going to say, well, he's an incumbent. So it's not like it's an open race. Well, he's, he is and he isn't an incumbent. But I think the, 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 I think the question for Trump is, above 50, I don't think he has to spin his way to, to dominance in terms of the storyline. At 48 or below, I think he's going to have to you know, try to convince the skeptics and the people who, who want a counter narrative that, in fact, it was a big night for him. So let me tie that to the previous comments you made about the rural areas coming in for Trump, right? If you look back in the last couple of caucuses, there's, it, it's been close. And the reason it matters is that some of the eventual winners didn't actually get to enjoy a win because they didn't win officially until days yep. later. And so they lost the opportunity yep. to get a bounce or attention. So how does that yep. tie into tonight? Meaning, let's just say the polls, the, the, the caucuses start at seven o'clock central. At like, let's say 845, some of these results start flowing in and the media starts reporting stuff, but the rural areas might take longer. Some of the bigger precincts might take longer. If, if Trump's at like 48, I mean, I know this sounds silly, but to your point, I agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot of- It's not it, silly. But did he, did he break 50? Did he not, not break 50? It's not silly, yeah. What, wait, wait, what, what part areas, do you not think is silly? Because this is where I want to I, I want to no, get- I think you're right. I that that if he's at 48 right, at matters. nine o'clock, he might be at 50 at 9 a.m. tomorrow. But I think the media right. is going to want to jump on a narrative sooner rather than later. Am I wrong? Yeah. Well, it could work to his benefit, depending on how much later he goes above 50, because the press covers the results coming in as if it's like a basketball game where where there are developments that occur later as if they're occurring in reaction to what occurred earlier when it's just a matter of where the votes counted. If he's at if he's at 47 early in the night and the press develops its own sense of, well, he failed, he didn't get to 50. And then before, you know, everybody goes to sleep by 10, 30, 11 Eastern, he goes above 50. It'll, it'll be, it, again, this is totally irrational, but it's the way it happens. I saw this happen most pronouncedly in 96 with Bob Dole and, uh, and um, Pat Buchanan. If he goes above 50, surprisingly, that'll, that'll put in a cherry on top. That'll put a supercharge on the storyline of, yep, Trump fought his way to 50. Um, my, I, my, if they've asked me to, to, to say, and I don't normally like to predict, I think he will get to 50 because of the cold weather and his turnout operation. And because I think they 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 went after uh, Vivek Ramaswamy at the end to try to get some of his vote, so I think he probably will. And if he doesn't, the press will make a big deal out of it, and then it'll just it'll just be up to whether Nikki Haley can beat him in Iowa or not. That's really, you know, I, the Iowa questions have largely been answered, not a hundred percent, but they've largely been answered. Which is Trump will come out of Iowa with some momentum, and Haley will either come out with momentum or it doesn't matter. Okay. She's, she's she still has the chance in New Hampshire. And New Hampshire. again, I, I let the voters decide if, if if Ron DeSantis can do well enough for it to matter, but I don't get the sense that he will. All right. So we, we've exhausted Trump. Let's move to DeSantis first. Um, yeah. I, I think that DeSantis, considering how much money he's put in and on the ground game in particular, through his super PAC never back down, the number of doors that they claim that they've knocked on, the number of people that they say have committed to caucus for them. 
he needs to finish second tonight no matter what. Do you agree or not? Well, I think he needs to, I mean, look, he can continue to go on if he wants, funded by the Super PAC. So I'm not so sure he's getting out, uh, even if he finishes third. But if you if you want to say, what gives him momentum to go forward? What gives him a charge to raise more money, to, uh, to, to, to look for a path to getting more delegates than Nikki Haley? He's got to finish a strong second. He's got to finish within hailing distance of Trump, like something like 44-32. And he's got to have distance between him and Haley to say, I am the clear second place right. finisher. If he does that, I, I don't think it puts him in contention in New Hampshire or probably in South Carolina. But it does give him a, a, a rationale to donors and to voters and to elected officials to say, yeah, I'm going forward. I, I showed that when voters really focus on me, I can organize and do really well. But if he gets third, by, let's just say Haley beats him by five points. Yeah. No, I, I get your point. He could go on, but I have a hard time believing somebody is going to give to him or continue to knock on a door. And and I the media narrative has already been way shifted behind Nikki yeah. Haley, and I don't see how that would he he would he could technically continue. I think for a right. lot of reasons, politically in Florida alone, he would have to say this is stupid. I'm going to literally run the car. I mean, it's like running a car out of oil where yes, you can keep yeah. driving for a while, but you're just blowing up the yeah. engine. It's a it's that's definitely the the conventional way this would go. But we're not in a conventional time as we know from the last few cycles. And this is not a conventional race because the front runner could be convicted of a felony. And so, if you're Ron DeSantis and you say, "I want to be president someday. I think I'd be a great president." The, the chances that he could become president this cycle, if he stays in the race and hangs around the hoop and sees if Donald Trump gets convicted, maybe his best chance ever to be president. And and what's the downside? People talk about, well, it'll, it'll, it'll hurt his future. Well, number one, he's already hurt his future by that standard because he's run a horrible campaign, I think. But number two, you never know. You right. never know what the future holds. So I, I've heard from some people that there are people in his life saying, unless you're a strong second, you should get out on Wednesday. And I've heard from people, uh, or Tuesday, or, I'm sorry, tonight or Tuesday. And I've heard from people who say he's got three super PAC people who will write $5 million checks to keep him going till Super Tuesday. Because remember, there's a big school of thought in the Republican Party. It's a school of thought that Ron DeSantis is a member of. They could, Nikki Haley does just demographically in terms of skills is not going to beat Donald Trump. So let's say Trump wins New Hampshire and let's say Trump wins South Carolina and it's on to Super Tuesday. It's probably over, I think, if he wins New Hampshire. But if you're DeSantis, take a shot and see what happens on right. Super Tuesday. Okay. Because remember, remember, and this is key. I wrote about this this morning. I'll just make one more point if I could. Remember in 2016, right before Super Tuesday, the Democratic Party establishment said, oh, my goodness, if we don't get Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar out of the race and all coalesce around Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders is going to be our nominee. And up until that point, they kind of sleepwalked into saying, well, it's never really going to be Sanders. I think the same thing could happen in the next month with the Republican establishment and Trump. Of course, they've known for a while Trump might be the nominee, but their mind may be focused by the reality that if they don't stop him by New Hampshire or by Super Tuesday, then they're stuck with him and they don't want him. And they may say, as unlikely as it is, you know, it can't be Haley. It's got to be DeSantis. So I say again, 
I don't know whether they'll get at or not, but there's a stronger argument to hang around the hoop than there normally would be. I, I would agree with that. I mean, although the one caveat I would argue or maintain is that he has two years left of being governor and there is a diminishment of his power locally to keep getting things done and having a record for a future. I get it. And so I, I can imagine you've got these two little birdies on each shoulder whispering mm-hmm. in your ear, keep going, keep going. And then the other one saying, get out, get out. I want to ask you one more DeSantis question before we go to Haley. DeSantis said, or released a statement, and I know, again, you talked about this yesterday, that he's immediately going to South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. And then, of course, he added the, and then I'll go to New Hampshire. I mm-hmm. feel, I, I get it, it was a tr- an attempt to troll Nikki Haley. But South Carolina is tw- 31 days after New Hampshire. Uh, like to me, that that wasn't it wasn't like they were the their day apart, and it was it was I I, I literally yeah. thought an intern wrote that. Yeah, look, he he's got nothing going on in New Hampshire, nothing. Okay, he could he could finish behind Chris Christie, who's who left the race. <laughs> I think his name will still be on the ballot, and so so it is it is smart politics at this phase as you know and everybody watching us knows this isn't about delegate accumulation this is about momentum and narrative and storylines and a sense of possibility he has to downplay new hampshire as much as possible because on on election night a, a week from tomorrow it's going to be a horrible story for him if he's he'll, he might be lucky to be mentioned because it's going to yeah. be such a horrible story for him so he so the point of going to south carolina first and to emphasize that south carolina and i suspect super tuesday Although he'll spend time in New Hampshire because there's events there, he town halls and other things. I think I think he's just trying to get past New Hampshire and hoping, I think, that Haley either Trump is really weak after New Hampshire, or hoping somehow that Haley's weak, but the establishment comes to him. Those are two absolutely diametrically opposed scenarios, both of which though could lead to a reinvigoration of his candidacy. I doubt it, but it's not impossible. You, you, um, I said I was going to get to Haley, but you brought up Chris Christie. So let me ask you about that because you broke the news that Chris Christie was going to get out last week. Um, I want to thank you, by the way, because I tweeted it out that from at Mark Halpern, and I probably got like 150 Twitter followers. So thank you for that. Um, My pleasure. You're, you're, <laughs> you know, I don't know what that's worth if there's a currency for Twitter followers. Um, here's what I found fascinating about the, tw- about the Christie. I got why he got out, right? But why, why did Chris Christie uh, get out and then not endorse anybody? In fact, go on a hot mic and blow them up. Well, the hot mic thing is still a mystery to me. It's hard to believe he really was on a hot mic accidentally, but I don't know that it was on purpose. Look, he doesn't. He didn't get out because he suddenly thought Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis were great candidates. The reason he was staying in, and the reason I was surprised he decided to get out, is. As he said on the hot mic, he doesn't think either of them can beat Donald Trump right. for the nomination. Thinks it's zero chance, and 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 he's not big fans of theirs either in terms of even I think how they do in a general election or do as president. So, you know, I think he got out because his donors said to him, "If you don't get out, if Trump's the nominee, you'll have blood on your hands, and you don't want that. You're not going to beat Trump, so right. get out, so other people can take the blame." I also think had he had he, I don't, he's no way he's going to endorse DeSantis. If he endorsed Nikki Haley, it would have hurt her. The Trump people made a big deal about how you know Nikki Haley is 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 now joined at the hip with a guy who hates MAGA, hates Trump. So 
I think he did Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley a favor by not endorsing her, not necessarily a favor by going on the hot mic. Hey, I know our time is short. The last thing I want to just ask you, because uh, I'll cover the Nikki Haley stuff. Uh, will you give us a prediction how you think everybody finishes tonight? I don't feel strongly about it because, again, a caucus is a weird beast. But but I suspect that Trump will get right around 50, maybe even more. If you ask me to take over or under, I take over for Trump at 50. And I, I really my gut tells me DeSantis is going to do better than Haley. But I think they'll be pretty close. That's my sense. But I don't feel strongly about it because this is this is not a normal election. Very difficult to say. I, I do. I do think that Haley may underperform as, as Ann Seltzer the Yep. Holster for the register said her. We've never had a situation where someone was the hot candidate, but their internal numbers looked horrible. Right. I agree with you. I'm going to add one thing and then I'm going to say goodbye. I, I actually think all of that is right. My story of the night that's not going to get a ton, but I do think that Vivek will actually overperform as well and get close to 15%. I'll leave you on that. Mark, uh, okay. as always, read Mark's uh, newsletter, sign up for him. I'll give you the information. And then obviously when he does these Zooms, if you're not a Mario or a Luigi, uh, jump on the, the Zooms when he puts them out. They're not that frequent, but he shows you what you're missing. Mark, thanks as always. Sean, good to see you. Happy caucus day. All right, folks, I want to thank Mark for that. Um, this is going to be big tonight. I think how Donald Trump does, as Mark said, does he get more than 50? And as far as Nikki Haley goes, I covered this at the front. She doesn't have the enthusiasm that you need going into a critical race tonight. The best case for Donald Trump, by the way, is that everyone does well tonight. Everyone does well. I think Trump's going to hit 50. I think DeSantis is at 20, Haley's at 16, and Vivek is at 14. And if you're a Donald Trump supporter, that's what you want to. You want all four candidates going to New Hampshire. You want all four candidates because the more that Trump can keep this from becoming a one-on-one -on -one race, that benefits him. He, Nikki Haley is dying for a one-on-one -on -one race. That's what she wants. She wants DeSantis out. She wants Vivek reduced to nothing, and she wants to take him on one-on-one. -on -one. Donald Trump wants as many of these folks to come in. And by the way, the reason that he's concerned about Vivek is that he's seeing Vivek bring new people to the caucus. He's bringing uh, rural voters. He's bringing his voters. And I think that number is going to get to be 15 or so percent. That's my big takeaway from tonight that'll be interesting to see if I'm right or not. But that's why Donald Trump's attacking him, because he sees it too. Anyway, Thank you for being with us. I appreciate everybody who jumped on the live feed last night. We'll continue to find days to do this. I appreciate all the support. Thanks for spreading the word about the show. Let me know what you think in the comments. We're going to have a lot to break down tomorrow for you. So please continue to tune in and subscribe, rate, share Sean Spicer Show. I always look forward to your comments. Please join our VIP group, seanspicershow.com slash VIP. You can always text me at 571-441-4991. I'll see you back here tomorrow with all the results.